Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hangtime Podcast. Joining us now, comedian Chelsea Peretti, NBA All-Star Roy Hibbert. Roy is our nation's most treasured actor. He's got chops, he's got talent, and he also has three tickets to Lakers. <laughs> With your host, Galliot Anderson, stops it down behind his head. Seku Smith, Lang Whitaker, and Rick Fox. The NBA's Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations, Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, when players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. And it's, it's our main man, Roderick Turner from the Los Angeles Times. Hey, too, can I say this first? <laughs> you know you when can. When I started covering the Lakers, when Rick Fox played, I had hair. They wore me out. Now it's time for the tip-off. Here's Smith. Six on the shot clock. Kid for three. Fouled and won a four-point play. That's a big-time shot by a big-time competitor. Big-time shot, big-time competitor. Welcome to the Hangtime Podcast. Seku Smith from the Hangtime Blog and NBA.com. Rick Fox, Lang Whitaker, doing it big. Fellas, what's happening? Yo. What up? I'm assuming you guys watched some of that Knicks-Nets game last night. Um, Lang's favorite coach in the NBA, Mike Woodson, is the front <laughs> runner right now for uh, coach of the year. Well, he's second in my book. What? I, I, I got Bernie Bickerstaff first. <laughs> <laughs> that, man, that man was 4-1 and one with his Lakers team. I don't know why the Lakers don't bring back Bernie Bickerstaff. Take it easy. <laughs> Take it easy. You go get you go get something started. But the Knicks, guys, what do you think? I mean, is two weeks ago everybody was wondering was this real or or fake? I mean, here they are now, statistically leading the East. I mean, they they popped the Heat twice. Are, are you ready to Are you ready to buy in on this Knicks thing and what Carmelo and Jason Kidd and all these guys got going? I, I'll say yeah. I mean, here. I, I've watched this team for 12 years now here in New York, and uh, this is the watching them play. Like last night, they, they're they've bought into what Woody is, you know, selling. They they share the ball, they're defending. Uh, they have a center who can rebound and who can guard the rim, which they haven't had for a long time. Uh, so I I think this team's for real. I, I, I'm curious what happens when Amari comes back, but I I don't see. If he buys in the way everyone else is bought in, and if he takes the role, whatever Woody wants him to do, I, I think they're going to be fine. I'll tell you where I I turned the corner with the Knicks, and it, it was last night's game. And it was when I saw Carmelo Anthony swing the ball uh-huh. to the open man three consecutive times, <laughs> and that open man was Brewer. And when I tell you he shot three bricks, he <laughs> It, it was the it was one of the most ugly looking shots, and I don't know if he's been shooting around with Camby because you know, but man, it was from the and and he swung it with no hesitation, no thought. He moved the ball onto the open man, even though the open man couldn't shoot. And and I thought to myself, now that is getting through, like that's a breakthrough for you know for the Knicks for Carmelo. And then they went on to win, and they, I'm telling you, they were down. 20, like 23 to 5 or something, 21 to 5. Yeah. And you got some of these older guys like Jason Kidd hitting four points. I mean, look at Jason Kidd's career. Amazing player as a point guard, distributor, creator for others. Would you ever think of him as the guy that would be hitting four-point plays to win games no. at the age of 39? No, that was the no, time right? when you didn't so, think he could hit so threes at all. Think, 
Right. I mean, he hit like three or four last night. So you got to think that, you know, that this team, something's going on with this team that's different than, than what maybe we've grown accustomed to see a Carmelo Anthony-led team in the league look like. And it's a credit to Mike Woodson, but it's also a credit to those old heads that are in there, Rasheed yeah. and Kidd and, and Thompson and Cammy. Those guys are actually having an influence. Now, am I buying in for the long haul? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really still think there's going to be two major turns. One is going to be Amar- Amari's return, how they how they infiltrate him into us, the, the flow of all of this. And then secondly, you know, the last 20 games of the season, how they go into the playoffs health-wise. Yeah. Because you see the difference of that team without Jason Kidd. You know, they, they had a moment, but then they also had more, you know, Chicago and, and a couple games where it didn't look so good. Yeah. So they need, his, they need his leadership on the floor in terms of, ball movement and, and, and distribution and actually taking care of the ball. I'm curious, Seiko, here's something. You know, we both watched Mike Woodson a lot in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, you know, the offense they ran in Atlanta was was pretty much give Joe Johnson the ball and slow it down and see what the, he can make happen in a half-court set. Watching this Knicks team play, like, to me, that's the most shocking part of this whole thing is that Woodson's the coach. Because on offense, they're just jacking up threes. They're swinging the ball around. It looks like the Suns from five years ago. But it, and it's incredible to me that Woodson is the guy who's in charge of this offense. It's like That, to me, is the most shocking thing. It's a completely different style of play than he ever used with the Hawks. He stole Dan Tony's, he stole Dan Tony's mojo. <laughs> I guess. I think a lot of that, guys, has to do with the fact that the personnel on a team dictates so much of what you can do. Lane, you you know this better than anybody. You remember the Hawks were starting, and this is no offense to some of the names I'm going to mention, <laughs> and I just want to get that out of the way right now. But, yeah, I mean, there was a time, Rick, they were starting Obina Akizi at the five. Who's that? Exactly. You know, and I love him, but seriously. I mean, they, they, had, a, they had a rotating, a revolving door of point guards that included our main man, Speedy Claxton, after like nine knee surgeries. You know, I remember Speedy. I remember uh, him. Yeah, I mean, AC Law, who never really took flight, a lottery pick. You know, um, they had all, all these right, guys they right. tried before Jeff Teague. Mike Bibby came in and gave him a, a huge boost when he came over in the trade. And that's when they kind of turned the corner when they had a veteran shot maker, point guard. But, but Bibby was at, in the later stage of his career. They didn't, you know, there was a time when. Mike Woodson was doing a good job to field a team that didn't have like three or four dudes who were fresh out of high school or playing in the hinterlands at some point. Yeah, but but at the same time, I mean, watching that team play, you, you just looked at them and you're like, well, why don't they run? I mean, that, that, yeah. that they, they could solve all these problems in not having a point guard and all this stuff by running. Just get up and down. You have Josh Smith. Yeah, Josh Childress who can run. Marvin Williams could run. Yeah, but uh, Lane, Al Horford could run. I think you you gotta a fast have, team. I think in, in today's NBA, you have to have some sound cats facilitating and handling the ball for you. And if the head coach doesn't trust his point guards, and, and I think there was a long time where Woody just, he didn't trust, you know, the head of his snake in terms of who he had running the show on the right. floor. I mean, he he had such a hard time turning the reins over to some of those younger guys. He's got a guy now in Kidd and Raymond Felton. He's got guys there who are seasoned vets but who are still good enough to – to, to play at an extremely high level. It's not like he's he's leaning on some guys who are so far past their prime they can't perform at a high level. How about Felton, man? Yeah, playing yeah. fantastic. Raymond Felton. I mean, talk about a guy that emerged in New York and then obviously in that trade was exited for a, a, a year uh, to return and, and confidently return. It was almost as if he knew. Yeah, but how about Raymond Felton's game? I mean, here's a guy that was – in New York, emerged, then was exited in that trade. Yeah, he just knew if he got back to New York at a certain point, he came back, took less money, probably than he could have made somewhere else. Yeah, and he's just been monstrous for them. I mean, but look at the season he had last year. He was just terrible in Portland. You know, I mean, it's a complete one eighty from him. I talked to, um, uh, I don't know if I should say who. I talked to a, to an all star <laughs> point guard this summer, and uh, and we were talking about Felton coming to the Knicks, and he said. I think he's going to be a great fit because, you know, that team needs a guy who says, I'm going to pass you the ball. I'm not going to pass you the ball. You get the ball this play. You don't get it this play. And Felton's that kind of guy. Felton's the guy who doesn't care. He'll yell at those guys. He'll tell them where to go, who's getting the ball. And it's been an awesome fit for the Knicks. And I think Kidd makes a huge difference too, just being in his ear and 
uh, I, like you said, Woody can rely on him and stick him in at the end of games yeah. or, you know, different spots here and there. He, well, he can be in everybody's ear, um, yeah. which I think is huge. Rick, tell me this. When, yeah. you, when you have a team like, you know, like the Knicks where you got this mix of veterans and young guys and you're kind of trying to adjust your chemistry on the fly, what's more important, having a head coach who plays the villain in the locker room or having one of the guys on that team be the heavy in the locker room? Because I'm, I'm always wondering, Woody got the reputation in Atlanta as being the heavy. Like the, no player would step in there in the middle of that, that locker room and play the bad guy. Woody would always do it. But do you need a player to, to assume some of that responsibility in the locker room as well? Yeah, it can't just be one voice. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's great. Like Woody, is, that's great that he is the heavy, but he, he coaches are the heavies in training camp. They set the tone. They, they, they lay down the law. They come down the hill like Moses. This is what we're going to be about. <laughs> and here are the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then it takes a group of veterans, I believe, at least three, three guys who have been, been in the league long enough, who players respect, who, who rotate that voice. And they carry that, and they carry it amongst different groups of little cliques of players within a team, and they, they police it. Yeah. You know, and your coach is going to police it, you know, just like the police force works, man. You know what I mean? You got police commissioner and you got everybody hits the streets. <laughs> and you got, you know, you got to have some veterans that hold it down and police the, police the everyday activity on a team. Yeah. And, and that's what you got. You see Rasheed Wallace. You see Jason Kidd. You see, these, you see uh, Tom, Thomas. You see these guys who, who ain't, who, who've been around long enough. They're not afraid to, to, you know, to crack the whip on some cats and say what needs to be said. Yeah. It keeps everything in order, man. Yeah, I, the funny thing to me is, who would have ever thought you'd have a team where Rasheed Wallace and J.R. Smith are on the same team and nobody ever brings up any, like, locker room issues, no drama, no crazy. I mean, these two dudes are – there was a time when you couldn't have had either one of them on the, in the same game, let alone the same locker room, without something breaking out. And they're well, both you know, playing two crazy, great. Two crazies equal a positive. <laughs> 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 Too crazy, you know. Scratch out everything. Well, they, well, they, well. That's two. That's two really good crazies. Because I love both of them. I love. Yeah. I've always loved Rashid's refusal to conform to, you know, and and then J.R. Smith is a different, you know, different beast all into itself. But it's funny to me how players can go from one place to another, and in the reputation that they had or the persona they bring with them kind of melts and, and disintegrates when things start going well. You hadn't heard a word about. J.R. Smith being a malcontent this year. You know what I'm saying? Last year he had all kinds of issues. I think that's partly on him too, though. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, you know? I just like that you can have that career rebirth, you know, sometimes where you don't have to be the dude you always were. Think, look, look at Zach Randolph. I was telling somebody this the other day. I was like, if Zach Randolph can go from the reputation he had early in his career to a guy now who's seen as part of the best back, you know, front court duo in the league and a, and a stand-up citizen in Memphis, I mean, the fans in Memphis adore him. That lets you know that you can always transform your image and 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 how you're you know viewed by people in this league if you just put your nose to the grindstone and go to work. Yep. And and I like and I love the Grizzlies. I mean, <laughs> I think if you look at their record, look at the standings today. I mean, if we started the playoffs today, yeah. Look who's look who's sitting in these positions in these playoff positions in the East and West. Seriously, take a look at these stands and tell me. Oof, these would be some span. I mean, just fantastic, fantastic New York, playoffs. New York, New York Mil- Milwaukee. Yeah, that, that that's uh, you know I think I, you got to go with New York in that mix there. Yeah, Miami, yeah like Miami, Miami Boston. How yeah, about Miami that? Boston. Oh my god, I'm so, look at these. I mean, look at these matchups. Go out west. Look at the matchups out west, though. How about Atlanta Brooklyn? Joe Johnson, <laughs> the, the Joe Johnson series. Yes, the Joe Johnson Bowl. Yeah, I mean, but. Look at the matchups in the West. San Antonio, Denver, Oklahoma City, Dallas. <sighs> and look who's Utah. missing in the West. Yeah. You know, look who would be missing from the playoffs. You know, I was looking through the standings going, who the Lakers going to play? <laughs> and it just dawned on me when you said that. Yeah, they'll be, they'll be playing Yahtzee. Well, hold on. <laughs> not, only, not only are they not in the playoffs right now, they have to wait in line behind Minnesota, Houston, and Portland. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, seriously. That's- that's shocking. Seriously. With two more weeks of Steve Nash being out, they could relegate themselves behind the New Orleans Hornets by that point. Oh, my goodness. Pelicans. 
Probably so now you're just being blasphemous. They got to bring back, man. They got to get Bernie Bickerstaff back. I think that's <laughs> Well, listen, let, I'm going to tell you, you talk about disgruntled. Listen to, listen to Kobe Bryant talk about the Lakers after their latest spill, uh, a loss to Kyrie Irving and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Listen to Kobe after that one. I'm very upset, but um, like I said, I mean, I, we've been through, I've been through tough situations mm-hmm. before in the past, and I always blow my top and just go crazy. And, yeah. yeah, and then I had a head coach who just kind of always kept calm and always just focused on the X's and O's of things. And and I learned from that. And I'm trying to trying to do the thing, same thing here. Um, but I won't lie, man. They're they're really they're really trying my patience with that Zen thing. On Skype, it was beeping like that. No, that that was a uh, that was, was Greg Wagon, our super producer, making sure we don't get in trouble with uh, the big bosses here. Listen, how many? Let's play a new game. Let's play a new game. What was behind the beep? <laughs> I want to know how many times he's going to be able to reference the Zen or the Zen Master or his former coach before Mike D'Antoni gets pissed off. You know, I mean, well, let me tell you something. I tweeted last night that I thought that statement was a was a jab. Yeah, and it. And, you know, the question was, you know, how are you handling all of this? You know, and he started off by saying, you know, well, you know, I worked with a coach who told me how to be a Zen and try to, like, you know, work on this stuff. But then his final statement was they I don't know who the they are. Is it his, is his teammates? Is it is it management? He said they are trying my <laughs> with with that. Yeah. Zen thing. Now, he could have said my Zen thing because it's his if he's working it, trying to you know trying to stay calm. But he said that Zen thing. So, is he now himself pissed off at the fact that Phil wasn't the decision maker, wasn't the coach that they decided on? Because that that kind of caught my ear. You tell me what y'all think. I, wait, I have a, a bigger picture question here, and Rick's probably a good person to answer this. Is you know Phil Jackson wrote a book or um, several books, but he wrote the one book where he just kind of threw Kobe under the bus. And so I kind of thought, you know, maybe this relationship isn't as hunky dory as we all think it is. But at this point, I'm wondering if this is just Kobe so desperate that, you know, (laughs) maybe we'll try this. Maybe this will work. (laughs) I don't know what's going on, but I, I kind of thought, you know, we've heard Kobe talk about how much he likes Mike D'Antoni and how that's why he wore number eight and all these different things. I kind of thought, they had a good relationship, but now I'm seeing this like last night and you wonder, well, maybe, maybe it's time to call Bernie Bickerstaff again. <laughs> I think even if he likes him, Kobe loves winning more. Right. He likes <laughs> liking point. his coach. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's probably if they, if they were winning every other game and, and working out their issues, I think Kobe's whole attitude obviously would be different, but it's not, I mean, there's no change in the fact Mike D'Antoni and the way he handles his team is not going to be what Kobe is used to. I mean, take a look at Kobe's 17 years in the league. He had his the greatest successes he's ever had playing on Phil Jackson coach teams. He doesn't. I don't. He doesn't know anything else in with winning than Phil Jackson and his system. They never won big without anybody but Phil. Nope. And I, and I tell you, Magic. Magic kind of. Laid it out there when they made the coaching decision, and, yeah. and I, I look. I always thought this season was going to be a bumpy road for the Lakers, and and I started raising those questions after Ronhart's Meta World Peace, excuse me. Yeah, get it right. Uh, started saying saying we that don't they, need him going off. Right? Yeah, he's been constantly <laughs> we have to trade him to to New York to get him get him right again. Uh, but I thought you know he was saying we're going to win seventy games, and all I kept thinking was. Look, man, you, I, I was there on a 2004-2005 team when we we had what was supposed to be an 82-win season with Carmelo and Gary Payton, Keelan <laughs> right. Kobe Bryant, you know, and, and, and it was it was about as bad as this. I mean, we got yeah. off to the 19 and, and one or two start, but then it imploded, and the, and this team is topping out by imploding out the gates. Yeah, because all things that happened to us on that team. From injuries to each guy, Carmelo went down. You got you got Steve Nash going down. Yeah, you know, and, and you got Pau Gasol going down. 
Right after that was, was, was uh, I think, uh, Kobe. Someone else went down on our team. So you did the injuries, the plague injuries that just started to happen uh, happened for us, and then the dissension and the finger-pointing. And then you know, it just was never-ending, and it gets to the point where it's so heavy that all you're doing is is either burrowing into a hole to hide right. or defending or defending your your you know your your position that you don't have anything to do with the problem. Yeah. Well, what do you? I mean, what do you guys make of all that dysfunction, all the problems in LA? And then you look at the standings, like I was talking about, and there are the Spurs, eighteen and four. There's Oklahoma City, seventeen and four. We barely talk. I mean, I barely hear people mention Oklahoma City in Miami even this season, which. In the past, we've always ignored the Spurs. You know, people always complain and say, well, nobody ever talks about the Spurs. Well, they always get ignored. You know, they always roll and in, 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 they're always playing at a high level and nobody mentions them. But the Laker drama has drowned out even the heat and the thunder to, an, to a large extent to me this year, which is staggering. I mean, these guys, are, the thunder are rolling. I mean, people they're love, flat rolling. People love drama. <laughs> yeah, hey, look. <laughs> And if you think about it, the Spurs, the Spurs did did their best they could to get on the headline. <laughs> they they there, all all of them almost didn't show up for a game. They almost yeah. said, "Check it, we ain't coming tonight." And they got fined two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and it was off the front page in two days. Well, they're on TNT. They're on TNT tomorrow night. So I'm wondering what happened. Sure they gonna show up? <laughs> I think Popovich should play those guys 48 minutes. All he should just play five starters 48 minutes. The whole game. Yeah. No it, pop. No pop. He'll bring them and play all the bench players. Still. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we talked about the Knicks at the open and and where they sit right now. Obviously, you know, a, a game up on the on the Heat. But do you do you still think, obviously, that the Heat? Are the team to beat in the East at you know a quarter at the quarter pole of the season? I mean they they haven't done anything in your eyes to lose that standing, have they? I I mean I don't know what Rick did. I would say to me, well, I picked Miami and the Lakers to go to the finals, and right now that's your that's your luggage talking, though, Lang. You just want to go to. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. I pick I pick the two best locales to go to the finals every year. If you had a crying two-week-old baby at home, you'd pick <laughs> Miami and L.A. to go to the finals, too. Um, <laughs> I, think, I, I, I still think Miami's a team to beat in the East. You know, watching them play, they're struggling a little bit right now. Uh, it's funny, like, just the past week or two, I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, what's wrong with the Heat? How, you know, they're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. It's not like they're falling apart. Yeah. Uh, I, I still think Miami's the team in the East. And, and in the West, I, I originally thought Oklahoma City, and then when the Lakers made all those moves, I thought, well, there's no way they can screw this up. But they found a way to screw it up. So I, 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 I'm thinking Oklahoma City in the West right now. Mm-hmm. Rick, you, you've yeah. heard, uh, and I'm sure you guys obviously have heard the whole – dust up between Charles Barkley and D Wade and LeBron. Um, and, and for people who haven't heard, let's refresh their memories right quick with Charles, the actual comments that started this whole forest fire. And I'm telling you, Dwayne Wade has really slowed that slowed down. I, when I saw it and I, I watched it on television and you can, cause he's not explosive and he's shooting a lot of fadeaway jumpers. And that's what happened when you start losing your athletic ability, you start shooting jumpers and shoot a lot of fadeaways. That's Charles Barkley talking about the decline he's seen in Dwayne Wade's physical stature and, and, you know, father time leaning on D. Wade a little bit. Do you think that there's any legitimacy to that at all, Rick? And do you think that's going to have a big impact on the heat as the season wears on? Well, I think Eric Eric Spolster needs to send Charles Barkley a thank you card because (laughs) immediately after those comments, I watched the Dwayne Wade – for a couple games, attack the basket like the old Dwayne Wade. Now, he might not have been throwing it down and dunking on people, but he was getting to the rim. He shot an extremely high shooting percentage. He got to the free throw line nine times a game, and and he was the Dwayne Wade that we're accustomed to seeing. And for the Miami Heat to be the Miami Heat, they need both Dwayne Wade and LeBron James putting pressure on the interior defenses of their opponents because they don't have – I mean, Chris Bosh is a big guy, but they don't have that that interior presence that most teams, you know, look to start and anchor their game game plan with. You know, the the Heat one 
by spreading out and getting up and down the floor and attacking and slashing and, and, and you know, shooting jump shots when need be. But we want our, our superstars to be immortal, but they're not now. So, so if you take a slight on Charles' comment where he's saying, look, you're getting older, that's just a fact. I right. mean, Wayne Wade has not been healthy the last few years for 82 games. He's gone into every playoff hurt. Yeah. So I get Dwayne saying to himself, look, maybe I'll pull up his 15-footer a little more than going in there and landing on my back every time because guys are attacking him. So, you know, you want to be healthy for the right 40 games. And he's always been healthy coming into, into the season. But then by 30, 40 games in, he's, he's, got a, he's banged up and got a series of ailments. So I, I just think that Dwayne can do it when he wants to. Yeah. I'd like to think maybe he's being more selective about about it so that he's not as beaten up by the end of the season. And maybe he showed Charles a little of that the last two games. Yeah. I I, th- I agree with I, with Ray. I think he's kind of picking his spots more. Maybe that comes with age. Maybe that comes with being 30 years old like he is now. But I, I do think he's he's understanding not – he doesn't have to go 100 miles an hour all the time. Um, and, and I mean, look, he's he's playing a few less. He's, he's averaging thirty three minutes a game this year, right. but he's but he's averaging twenty points in thirty three minutes, which is pretty remarkable. So I, I think he's it's still there. It's just a matter of uh, these guys learn. These guys played in the summertime. They went to the Olympics. They know they can't play. 48 minutes a night every single night. Look what Popovich does with the Spurs. Maybe Wade's doing a little of that on his own with the Heat. I, I'm not that concerned with Wade. I, I don't think. I'm more concerned with Miami, what, what they're going to do in the middle. And, you know, they're still shuffling guys in and out and trying to figure out who's that guy on the interior for them. Well, and I'm less concerned. And, I, and we we talked about this in the uh, blog table, NBA, NBA.com this week, where we, we you know, we kind of all weighed in on what we thought. And my, my thing is this. Wade shouldn't be the same player he was four or five years ago. Right. I mean, you don't play at as high a level as he's played in, in well, do that. Why not? Jason Kidd is. <laughs> well, Jason Kidd has, has remade his game, though. That's, there's a big right. difference. Like, <laughs> Wade can't go in and take the pounding he used to take when he was flying to the basket all the time and playing, you know, three and four inches taller than he really is. You know what I mean? That's a tough – that's a physically yeah. grinding style that – no man should be able to keep up over the course of the, of the four, five, or six years we've seen Dwayne Wade go from one player to to the players. Now the other part about it, he he got a lease on not having to do all that the day Chris Bosh and LeBron James showed up. You know, yeah. he he's not on a team where he has to carry him the way he did before he had that kind of help. And for anybody to assume that the Dwayne Wade we see in December after knee surgery. Is the same Dwayne Wade we're gonna see when the on the big stage, you know, in in April and May and June if they make it back, to, you know, to that point. That's that's being a little short sighted in my eyes. And far be it for me to to diss Charles because I'm not, but I understand what he's saying and I think he's absolutely right. There there is an element of father time that comes into play here, but let's be realistic. Dwayne Wade shouldn't be grinding, you know, the way Stan Van Gundy ha- used to ask him and Shaq to grind back in the day when he was coaching them more. The way, you know, to me, the only way the, the the Heat would be playing a style where these guys would burn themselves out is if they were chasing 72 wins or doing something like that. But that doesn't that doesn't diminish the fact that they're still, look where they, I mean, they're right there with the Knicks at the top of the East, Eastern Conference standing. So it's not like that they're not in playoff contention. They're just it's, not playing knock-you-out basketball every night you know, one through eight or nine or whatever. It's also interesting to me that, you know, it's not just Charles. I've heard other people mention Wade this season and how he's not playing great. He's not playing the way he used to play. But in years past, it was always on LeBron's shoulders. And last (laughs) year we heard it was LeBron's not playing great. He can't lead. He doesn't know, you know, he's not a great – He's not a champion. He's, and now they won a title. Now it's back on Wade. <laughs> so, I, mean, I think people are just looking for someone to put this on. And, again, this is a team that's 8-2 and two in their last 10 games, <laughs> you know, leading their division. I'm not that concerned with the Heat right now. I, I'm not concerned with the Heat. I'm not concerned with, you know, with several teams. I, let me tell you who I am concerned with. And right. in this, what is where are the Boston Celtics in the East? Yeah. They are, I mean – they're not in. They're not in a position right now to rest on their laurels. They, I mean, they got to crank it up, don't they? I wonder if they. I mean, in a way, they're like Wade. They kind of feel like we can turn this on when we need to. 
Oh, yeah, no. but Wade's thirty. I don't. I, mean, I don't know that the boys are a little longer <laughs> the tooth than that. I'm not saying that they can. I'm just saying I wonder if that's partly what their what their thought process is behind all this. I think I think like the New York Knicks, their their chemistry, their makeup roster wise is flip flopped. In other words, all of their wisdom shouldn't be playing the majority of the minutes. All of their right. wisdom and experience and all of their youth should be better than they are. And unfortunately, they're still too young. So, so it's like if you, you know, for this team to, to, to really go anywhere this year, the KG and the Paul Pierce, those guys don't, you know, they can't be the backbone of this team, even though they are right now still. Yeah. You need the Jeff Green, you need some of these younger guys to shoulder some of this responsibility, or are you just going to have a team that's too young, uh, too young in, in the wrong areas and too old in, in, in the other areas? Yeah. And, and that's why I think they just 11 and 9. Yeah, I mean, they, they haven't, <clears throat> they haven't even had a, to me, those signature Celtic performances, you know, like where they go into somebody's house and yeah. just make, I mean, just make life miserable for somebody on the road. Like they, they usually good for one or two of those every, you know, every couple of weeks. They haven't looked like that team. And Lang, I'm, I'm, I had high expectations for Jeff Green this season. I thought he's going to have this breakout year and, and really show up and be kind of that X factor for the Celtics. And he doesn't seem like he's playing like that. In, in that form right now. I'm wondering, you know, maybe maybe I was wrong. Maybe maybe I was expecting too much out of him. Well, it wouldn't be the first time you were wrong. But also, I think <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also, you know, with Doc Rivers, he's the kind of coach who he's shown this through the years. He makes adjustments during the season. He'll change his rotation. He'll try different things. Yeah. And then he finds something that works, and he rides it. Like, you know, last year when he puts Avery Bradley in the starting lineup, and then all of a sudden that they get hot, then things start working. I, I think – a little bit of that this year with Jeff Green is figuring out how to best use him. You know, is he a four? Is he a three? Who does he guard? What positions do you put him on? And then I, I kind of thought they'd get more out of Courtney Lee also uh, after yeah. the way we saw him a couple of years ago in the finals with Orlando. And he hasn't really been what I thought he would be with them. And also Sullinger, I think I thought he would be a little bit more of a, make more of an impact at least just rebounding defensively, things like that. He hasn't really done as much as I thought. Jason Terry, where's he at? I don't even recognize him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, a lot of people thought they had, you know, they had made some moves that would keep them, you know, amongst the elite. Yeah, in the East. But I mean, you look at the standings today: New York, Miami, Atlanta, Chicago. You know, Philly, Brooklyn, then Boston. There's some. To me, there are some surprising teams between the Celtics and the elite. Uh, or you know or what's supposed to be the elite. And I know they're all jumbled together right now, but I also I think the Celtics are the kind of team that they get bored during the regular season a little bit. Yeah, you know, with Paul Pierce, Garnett, Rondo, all these guys have been there. They've done this, and so they kind of play out the string, and they, they just want to get home court for at least first second round. But they feel like they, you know talking to those guys, they feel like they can beat anyone. They feel like they can compete with any team in the East at least. And I, they're not afraid of any team, I know. And and I think once they these guys get a little more used playing together, once Doc Rivers kind of figures out the best way to use these guys, they're, they're going to be a team to contend with. But I, I just think it's not right now. They don't. They're not really concerned with the now. They're concerned with the bigger picture. Yeah. You know, we talked about the Knicks, but we didn't talk about the other side of that game across the the borough there in Brooklyn. They yeah. lost five in a row, man. I know they. Is, well, is it panic going on? Like, should no. they be concerned? Is Brook Lopez that valuable? <laughs> I think he, you know what? I, That's not like a rhetorical question. Like, <laughs> <laughs> which came first, Brook Lopez or the end? <laughs> For real. I mean, I, I do think he makes a big his his absence is a big deal in the sense that. You know, Andre Blatch was having a pretty good year on the second team yeah. with, 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 the, with the Nets. And when they would take out Lopez, he was kind of feasting on all those second teams with, that they would play against. And now that he's starting, there's kind of that hole there. And when he goes out, what do you do off the bench? And, and I, I just think that really that it makes a bigger impact than you would think. At the same time, I think five losses in a row, you can't put all that on, on Brooke Lopez yeah. being out. Well, I, the other part about it, too, that, that you watch and you wonder, is is this Joe Johnson now in a Brooklyn Nets uniform, or is he just not playing up to his standards and he can shake out of this? I, I'm i not Look, sure. That, 
I'm not sure that this isn't the way Joe's going to play. He's just he's yeah. not going to be a lighted up dude because he doesn't have that ball in his hands all the time anymore. Yeah, I agree. You know. I think that's you know Atlanta. Atlanta. He flourished in Atlanta because he was the man. He had the ball in his hand. Took twenty eight shots a game. Yeah. It, it, it's look, man. They lose three. They lose two two more games. They 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 gonna hear chance of Brooklyn. <laughs> Brooklyn. They, something broke about that. That that just they started too strong. Avery Johnson is is too good a coach. Some something's not clicking. And and if it's all, it's all if it's all Brook Lopez. Right. And look, they just need to change Brooklyn, Brooklyn's name to Broke Lopez or something. <laughs> make him feel good. Make him feel getting back out there. Something, man. You you know what? The funny the funniest thing that we haven't talked about today, and I hate to bring this up, but Lane, Amir, you know this guy Amir better than anybody. No, no, uh, it's it's our main man. I'm I'm leaving Amir Johnson alone because that was the funniest thing. To that me was just when nutty. he got thrown out of that game yeah, that was the other nutty. day. Give me the ball. No, I'm I'm getting tossed. But. <laughs> Did you did you read Mike Lee's story about the Washington Wizards? We just talked yes. about this team last week with our main man Eton Thomas. Eton Thomas came on the podcast was last week talked about the Wizards. Rick debated him a little bit. Well, actually, Eton <laughs> debated us, and Rick <laughs> threw us under the bus. Didn't even. <laughs> but the Wizards turned down an opportunity to get James Harden, and, my, and Mike what? Lee wrote all about. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, man, Michael Lee from the Washington Post had a story about it yesterday. The Wizards turned down a, deal, a potential deal for James Harden because their owner, Ted Leonsis, didn't want to lock up, you know, 80, that max deal. He didn't want to lock up 82 million bucks in cap space with, you know, the potential to do all these things that the Wizards are hoping they're going to be able to do in free agency. And But, I mean, you talk about a, a, a team in need of an identity and a jolt. And James Harden would have been – can you imagine how D.C. would have fell in love with James Harden's game? Whoa. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in a way – and someone made this comparison a while ago. He, he plays – the way Harden plays is a lot like a better Gilbert Arenas yeah. or a healthier Gilbert Arenas. Yeah. You know, kind of that combo guard. He can, he can shoot. He's a better outside shooter than Gilbert was, but he can also drive. He gets to the free throw line a lot. In a way that, he, you know, maybe the Wizards didn't want to, to – kind of pick up where they had left off. But at the same time, I, I agree that you, when you have a chance to get a James Harden for, for what they, what was it? Bradley Beal and uh, who's the other player? Oh, gosh, I mean, it was, it, it was guys who hadn't proved, you know, hadn't, it, it was, the, it was a uh, singleton. It was yeah, Bradley yeah. Beal and singleton. Yeah. They weren't indispensable by, yeah. any, by any stretch. And so to, if it's those two guys, I, that's my, my thought is, well, this is a way we get better really fast and we can still build a little bit around them. So I mean, uh, all of those draft picks too, though. Yeah, because if because the Washington Wizards need those draft picks, man. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what draft you know, picks do? You know what draft picks do? Sometimes, Rick, they <laughs> you put them in the wrong hands, and you know, I I love Bradley Beal. I mean, I'm not knocking him. I'm just saying, you put you put a handful of draft picks in in the pocket of a franchise that hadn't been able to to you know to separate the the good jelly beans from the bad ones, you know, historically. Okay. And you, and you okay. could have problems is all I'm saying. I mean, look I, at I, some of the, some of the wizards previous first round draft picks. I just called this up. Uh, 2011, Jan Vesely and, and Chris Singleton, which maybe is too early to, to judge these guys. Uh, 2010, John Wall and Lazar Hayward. Uh, 2008, JaVale McGee. 2007, Nick Young. 2006, Alexi Pekarov. Uh, 2003, right first round pick, Jarvis Hayes, University of Georgia, tenth overall. That, wow, is that was that Ernie? Was Ernie there for all of those? Or Mike? No, Mike was gone, right? Yeah, I think Ernie was there for some of them. Yeah, but anyway, I I I, I kind of agree with Seiko on this that draft picks are nice, but. It's almost like you have cost certainty with with Harden. You know what you're going to get. You know what you're paying. I I guess you didn't quite know what you were going to get with Harden just because people weren't quite sure what he would be like as a starter and and being you know the main guy in an offense. But uh, I'm just wondering who you who you you know. I love how people plan for the future. We're going to you know get these draft picks and do this and do that. And then four or five years later, it's like you have to get so lucky in the draft. Like you not only have to have the 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 right pick in the right draft, but that dude's got to pan out. You know, like yeah. you know what? The future is a powerful drug, man. It and is. When, it is. When the, 
the three of us are running an NBA franchise one day. <laughs> when we send Rick out to talk to the media, we're just going to have him keep saying over and over. We're just over and over. He's got to say like, well, you know, we're building for the future. We're going to get all these draft picks and we're going to have flexibility <laughs> underneath the cap. We're just, we're really not playing for this year. We're playing for down the road. And it's really about the future with this team. And Hey, if we win some games now. That's great. But we're really aiming down the road. And you know, Franchises use that as a crutch a lot yeah. of times. I'm, I've never heard, I've never heard anybody in an arena sitting up there going, "Yeah, it's all right. We're getting beat by thirty, but we, you know, we got this cap flexibility for the next, you know, in two <laughs> yes. years." I mean, fans want to, they want their teams to to win. They want to yeah. be, they want to be hot now. They want to, they don't want to be the next trend. They want to be what's hot in these streets right now. Hey, and you I, know what? I, I can't wait to use what what uh, when they ask me, "Well, are you embarrassed?" <laughs> And I'm gonna say nope. It's just basketball. <laughs> speaking of just I, 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 <laughs> speaking of just basketball, guys, one last headline here that I, I we cannot pass up. Um, Kevin Love, woo, some well, little little drama stirring in Minnesota. A little Yahoo talked to Kevin Love about the organization's you know kind of refusal to make him the cornerstone player that I think we all believe he, he, he is at this stage of his career. Um, and listen to this. I, I'm going to read this quote to you guys he, that, that Kevin Love gave. He's, he's talking about the fact that the owner, Glenn Taylor, had some – I don't think they were disparaging comments. I don't think they were meant that way. But Love, the way they were taken would definitely makes it sound like Love felt like he was getting poked at. Kevin Love says, I don't know who labels people stars, but even – Timberwolves owner Glenn Taylor said, I don't think Kevin Love is a star because he hasn't led us to the playoffs. I mean, it's not like I have much support out there. <laughs> uh, that, is, that isn't exactly the kind of stuff you want to walk into a locker room with your teammates reading on their iPhones and stuff and say, hey, what's, what's up, Kev? You know, you throw us under the bus because the owner, the owner of the team didn't give you the keys to the bus. I mean, how do you how do you manage this situation when you know you got a, a young star in Kevin Love who, by by any measure, hasn't had the kind of supporting cast that would allow him to be a playoff cornerstone player in the Western Conference. Well, to be fair, most of those guys who were on that team aren't on that team anymore. The, the, the guys who he didn't have much support from uh, aren't on that <laughs> Leave team Leave Michael anymore. Beasley alone. <laughs> I'm thinking more like... Well, those guys, but then also the coaches are all different now. Yeah, you know, they've gone through a couple of coaches. It's totally different now. And I think last year was they, last year they had a pretty legit shot at it until Rubio went down uh, toward the end of the season. So I, I think part of that was maybe Kevin Love's. It's just under his skin a little bit. You know, even if it was a couple of years ago, it still seems to be bothering him. But but in his in, in his in his defense, I don't right. think he should be saying what he's saying publicly. Because it does throw his teammates under the bus, but if we look at the depth chart of the Minnesota Timberwolves, yeah. I mean, you take an injured Rubio who's on the sidelines, right? Luke Rittenauer to me is is a solid basketball player. Take <laughs> it easy, don't 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 yeah, despair, Rid. That's Sacred's boy. Be Come careful. Come on now, Rick. No, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. And that's why I'm gonna say I think he's a solid. I think he's a solid player in this league. I don't think he starts on the top. 15 yeah. teams in the league right. as right. a starting point guard, but I think he's, I think he's solid. Um, Karolinko, we knew what he could do, but he's kind of a, he's kind of a stat stuffer. You know, he's all over the place. Uh, Pe- Pekovic had a better year last year, but I think that was a function of, of Kevin Love's, Love's emergence and him you know, kind of cleaning up around the edges. Yep. Uh, they don't really have a two guard, and then it's Kevin Love. Derek Williams has been a disappointment. Uh, and, and then I look at a lot of guys on that bench, and I go, well, maybe Chase, Chase Bud, Budinger was going to be one of the answers. He goes down with a knee injury. They, they, they just, they're just a mis, they're a little bit of a mismatch piece together. Yeah. And they just don't have any big-time names that, that you, know, you tune in to watch on TNT or ESPN other than Kevin Love. Yeah. Or maybe at the end of the day, what, what, what the owner's saying, maybe he's just a Robin. And, you know, big statistics – don't necessarily make you the cornerstone of a franchise. I can find a number of guys over the course of history in the league that put up big numbers that, quite frankly, weren't weren't great for their team. Yeah, I think Rubio was is going to be that guy to him, and he was when he was healthy last year. They that was when they were actually fun to watch. We had 
yesterday on the jump on NBA TV, we were talking about the games that people can vote on for fan night next week. And, and I think it was Jared mentioned, or maybe it was Brent. The, the Timberwolves have never been voted on fan night <laughs> in the history of fan night, which I was a little bit surprised by because it's a young team. They're, between Love and Rubio, they're exciting to watch when they're healthy. But I think health is a part of it. And as for a two-guard, you know, Brandon Roy was supposed to be that guy yeah, this that, year. Yeah, that didn't pan out the way we did. And that re- I think that really kind of swept the legs out a little bit from them. Because then you get a veteran guy, you get a scorer, and you get a two-guard. You get all that stuff. But that didn't really work out at all for them. Well, I'll, I'll leave a, I'll leave the – we'll leave this alone for whatever comes next in this whole mess with love. Um, and that's Adrian Wojnarowski from Yahoo Sports, by the way, with that, with that interesting story uh, from Kevin Love. He, this is this is the quote to me that this is the one that'll be ringing in David Kahn's ears, and whoever else is in charge of the Timberwolves when it when it comes time to figure out how they proceed with or without Kevin Love, and this this is classic stuff. And Kevin Love, Lang, we've talked to him. Obviously, you know him. We've had him on the show before. This is not a shy guy. This is not a guy who gets misquoted. Listen to this one. I have a very very good memory, and I always remember the people who have done right by me, and the people who have done wrong by me. Love says. It will be embedded in my brain and something I won't forget about. There's no telling what will happen. I would love to compete for championships in Minnesota, but... Dot, dot, dot. But how fast do I get out of here? Trade that man now. <laughs> Just I mean, saying. But, but the other thing is, you know, this is all based he's on... He's burn y'all. He's going to burn the, Minnesota. The reason he's so mad is because they, they wouldn't give him that contract, the, the max contract, right? I mean, that's what this whole thing is, is stems from. Yeah, I think that's part slighted. of it, yeah. That's yeah, part of it. He feels slighted, and, and, and he should. I mean, to me, when I look on the landscape, there's a ton of people getting max deals, and he could he could have definitely been worthy of one of those mistakes. You know, some people give <laughs> Mac deals and their mistakes. He he would have been a good mistake to give ninety million dollars to. But yeah. you do, but you do think it would be a mistake to give him a, a Max deal? No, I, <laughs> I don't, don't think, think it would have been. been yeah, I don't, at all. I don't think it at all. Only because I can find twenty nine other teams that would break their neck to have him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously, and you and you know when when you're when you're in a in a, in a buyer's market. Look what Harden! Look what you got for Harden! You can't. Yeah. You telling me you couldn't get the same thing for Kevin Love, if not more? I mean, we can use this strategy when we're running a team again. But part of my, I always think there's no such thing as a bad contract in the NBA because you can always find someone to t- like. Look at Joe. A year ago, everybody was like, Joe Johnson's got the worst contract in the league. Boom, he gets traded right away. You can always yeah. trade a contract, you yeah. know. And I think it's it's almost better to 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 sign the guy to a bigger deal, Kevin Love, in this instance. Then you don't have any of these problems. Maybe the problem down the road is, hey, he's not worth this much money. We got to figure out what to do, and then you get rid of him. But in the meantime, I think it's it's kind of worth not having these headaches. But yeah, inflation, you know, inflation. Look at Luke Walton is going to be underpaid in in about a minute. <laughs> Luke Walton will even be underpaid. That's the NBA inflation of the of the way things go. Like back, yeah. average contracts and average salaries yesterday, which were overpaid people, and yeah. tomorrow. They're guys that are just making the average salary and, and doing their job. So I come from the Magic Johnson school, you know, which is you ask Magic Johnson, looks like money's no object to the Dodgers. And he says, what? We just want to win. Yeah. You know? So I, yeah. I get not everybody has an, a, you know, a bottomless wallet. But in this day and age, if that's your best player on your team, you pay him best top dollar and you keep him happy. And, and if, you, if for some reason things aren't working out, you can find some place to ship him. Yeah. I agree. I, I'm glad we're on the same page with this because when we're running that franchise down the road, we're all gonna we're not, we're not gonna have to argue about these kind of things. I want to be the guy Everybody that never talks cool. to the media. I don't want. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I think Rick, let's say Rick, Rick, Rick do talk. Yeah, yeah. Rick, Rick will be like the figurehead. Then if people get angry, <laughs> they know who to go to. I like that idea. <laughs> that, that works for me. That works for me. One hundred. Uh, guys, before we uh, cut dust here this week. Little little matter to handle uh, on some bragging rights and uh, oh no yeah well, <laughs> <laughs> he, he sounded genuinely upset well somebody uh, that means somebody knows they are still dragging up the caboose on uh, on bragging rights I bet I be watching some of these games man I'm just thinking to myself man why 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 it's just like so close. <laughs> 
It's time for bragging rights as the guys put their rep on the line. Yeah, well, the king is still in the big chair. Uh, I don't know where you jokers, uh, where y'all are behind me, but I know I'm still in the big chair. Greg, Greg Wagan, our super producer behind the glass. Greg, where, where we stand this week? Uh, okay, so season standings right now. Sekou is eleven and six. Second is Lang at ten and seven, oh. and Rick is nine and eight. I'm in the wild card position. <laughs> Upside down, baby, like the Lakers. You, you need to get it together. <laughs> I thought it was the Lakers go. Hey, we're all over 500, so that's okay. I'm uh, I'm just pacing myself. <laughs> yeah, you and D Wade. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. I'm still in, I'm still in football season. <laughs> well, so we're, what are our games this week, Greg? What are we working with? All right, first game of the uh, of this week is Golden State at Atlanta. Ooh, that's Saturday night game, Golden- huh? I'm gonna be at that game. That, woo! That's gonna be a shootout. That's gonna be a shootout. You know what? I'm going with the. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Hawks. I think they're gonna try and hold the fort down. Uh, they've been on the road. Come home. They got to have that one. Uh, I will take the Atlanta Hawks as well because I think they have too much on the inside for Golden State. ATL, Shorty. Uh. I flew back from L.A. to Atlanta. I am now currently in Atlanta. I've spent more days in Atlanta this month than in L.A., so I feel like I'm from Atlanta. And I flew with Ludacris. Yes. And he has the famous song, Welcome to Atlanta. Yeah. But I'm going with the Golden State Warriors. All right. Because the first game back from a road from Atlanta, a little hangover from the road trip, one of the last games for Golden State on the road, they're going to have an excellent road trip. It's a back-to-back for them from Orlando the night before, but I'm going with Golden State. So, so wait, so they're, they're fly, they play in Orlando on Friday night. They fly into Atlanta. They get in, I don't know, around midnight or so on a yeah, Friday night. On a not Friday night. Not enough time. <laughs> not enough time, but uh, hot, hot Atlanta. I don't know about that. <laughs> they just meet the Hawks. They can just meet the Hawks at uh, the midnight Bible service. and. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then everybody, you know, just see you at the arena Saturday. All right. I love how Rick set that up, too. I really thought he was going Atlanta. Yeah, I set, I set y'all up. 50 Cent was on that flight, too, man. Only thing missing for me was a mic. I could have got I could have got signed, man. <laughs> Luda was on my right. 50 Cent was behind me. I was like, welcome to Atlanta. <laughs> nice. All right, second game is the Clippers at Milwaukee. Oh, that's easy. I'm I'm going clips. I'm going with the. I lo- Ooh, by the way, I love the I love the nicknames that people are coming up with for the Clippers bench. Have you seen some of this stuff, yeah. Lane? I don't. I'm not. I don't co-sign that. I'm just I saying. I, I like what some is, of the nicknames what, though. What is the, the one? What that, some of the, the one that's floating around was a tribe called Bench. Yeah, I don't like that one. I like I like the one that's. Uh, I think it's I think it's Lob Bench, like instead of Lob <laughs> Lob Bench, baby. I don't know. I like it. I like the, I like how foolish people are getting. That, and Fife, uh, Fife apparently tweeted about it. The thing to me is that the, the Lakers are in El Segundo, right? That's where the that's practice is. Yeah. True. The Lakers practice facility is in El Segundo. So I, I think if anyone has a Tribal Quest nickname, it should be them. But I, well, for that, that game. It would be it would be the Lakers left their walled in El Segundo. <laughs> <laughs> they left their wins in El Segundo. <laughs> Lob bitch, baby. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go with the Clippers. Who you got, Rick? Come on. Uh, I'm going Milwaukee. He's, just, he's, <laughs> he's trying. Milwaukee. He's doing every can to catch up. This is yes. it's either gonna be a good week for him or a bad week. Yeah, oh, I'm a sink. Clippers can't win 12 game, 11 games in a row. Come on, man. <laughs> you go. It can't happen. All right, the last game of the week will be San Antonio at OKC. I'll go first, and uh, I will take San Antonio. Old statement. OKC. Wow. I'm going OKC. Yeah, I'm going with the home team on that one. I, I know the I know the Spurs like to go to other people's house and and play yeah. play the play the uh, rude rude house guest role, tear up the dinner table. But I gotta believe that Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant and and the rest of that crew in OKC. Wants to make a statement as well. I'm, I'm going with the Thunder. All right. And, and points San Antonio Spurs have been scoring lately. I know, but, I know. but you, you know, you know what Russell Westbrook when he sees 
he sees fresh meat now he can he, he can go loose he can he can go crazy now I, I think they gotta I think the Thunder are on this mission too this season to to shut up all the critics who said that this season was gonna fall apart when James Harden got traded away you know they've been yeah. quiet about it but I think that's quietly the thing that is gnawing at them is that people assume they were gonna fall apart because they lost one piece. I talked to Serge Ibaka for for we showed it on uh, NBA TV yesterday, mm-hmm. and I asked him about what what they took from losing in the finals, and he was like, "Man, it, he goes, we worked so hard to get there, and then you lose, and it just feels like so horrible. So yeah. It just teaches you you don't want to lose again. You if you're going to yeah. put in that much work, you get there and, and you you got to do it. Yeah. yeah. So I think I think they they took something from that, and I think I said it before, and I said it to him. I, the thing that impressed me about the Thunder is that they always. They learn. They, they 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 lose, and then they learn from their mistakes. From what other teams might not get a lesson from, they seem to get those lessons. And I, I think that that's what happened with the finals last year with them. I think not only do they learn as a team, I think they learn from their own individual mistakes. Look at look at Russell Westbrook's play from last year, the last two years when he was getting roasted by people for not yeah. being a real point guard, for not facilitating, for being selfish and all that. He's still getting his shots. But his assists are up by you know three. He's averaging three more assists a game this year, and you know and he's. I think he was either first or second or, or both in the league in terms of a on assisted baskets. To Kevin Durant was one, and Ibaka was two. You know, mm-hmm. I think that they still have that kind of prove yourself, you know, attitude every time they hit the court. That I think serves them well as a younger you know, core group of guys trying to win a championship that maybe some of these veteran teams don't have. And that, that I think, is what distinguishes them from some of these other teams that are trying to win a championship. It's also why I think they're going to win that game against Spurs. But before we get out of here, Lang, you you know, we we talked about the Warriors. And, and we talked to Warriors GM Bob Myers on the Beat Monday. And he was – it was one of the more unique situations where he's a young GM, Rick, and – and I think this is something that's that's changing about the league. After we got done, talk, you know, taping the segment, and we're asking him about his team, you know what he asked us? He's like, so what do you guys think about us? Like, really? Uh-huh. Like, no, really, what do you think? Like, where do you think we fit in the league, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's a whole sea change coming in the league from the front offices to the teams that are going to be at the top of the standings that, you know, and, and that aren't. To me, the Thunder represent – this this movement that's coming because the Lakers and Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan and the Spurs, these guys can't be on top, you know, forever. There's going to come a time when we transition from those teams that are the powerhouse teams to some other ones. To me, the Thunder, along with the Heat on the other side, obviously represent this change that's coming. And the Warriors, some of the teams we talked about today on the show, the, some of these other teams, they could be a part of this this flip-flopping of the standings, this kind of move from one group of power teams to the other. I'm just curious, as we get out of here, what you guys think about the Warriors fitting into that bunch. I think Bob Myers asked you, what do you guys think about us? And meanwhile, he's, like, checking his Blackberry. No, it wasn't. We watched him. I mean, it was a genuine moment. I, I think the Warriors are fun, and I think as long as Steph Curry is healthy, they're going to be a, a team to watch this season. But, you know, I, there's a to me, there's a pretty – there's a – pretty big gap in talent between the top teams and the rest of the NBA. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're going to be a team we watch down the road, but for now, uh, do you think Golden State's going to beat San Antonio or Oklahoma City this no, year? No, but I don't think they have to beat them necessarily right now. I'm just saying the they have to make the playoffs first. Right. And I'm saying the teams that have occupied some of those playoff spots, maybe four down, you know, or – like five the through eight, that changes maybe to me. <laughs> they're way ahead yeah. of the Lakers right now. <laughs> I, I agree. I think it's flip flops. I think right now they're in the middle of the pack, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when it all sinks up and galvanizes with a little more maturity for the for Clay Thompson and, and maybe a Harrison Bourne or Draymond Green, I think the concern is going to be that their paint, their middle, yeah. is going is going is going to thin out. Meaning David Lee's not going to be at that level that they're going to need him to be at two years from now, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know where Andrew Bogut's going to be. So I think it could be right now they have, they have a, you have a strong, you know, four seed, five seed kind of presence, but I don't know. I don't think they jump to the, you know, to a one, two and, and get into Oklahoma city conversation uh, in the next year or two here, unless they, they, they solidified the interior of their offense 
and defense a little more. You because know, they, they can't just you can't be a, a lead contender just just shooting jumpers. I'm sorry, you just can't. Yeah. You know what Golden State has right now? They got a lot of hope. Yeah. <laughs> there it is again. That'll sell a lot of tickets. <laughs> in the future. In the future. Well listen, in the future you two jokers need to try and catch up in bragging rights, all right? And in the meantime, as a wise prophet once said, kiss my converse we out of here we will see you next time on the hang time podcast for rick fox and lang whitaker lang go get your kid (laughs) that wasn't me i don't know what that was (laughs) (laughs) that's what seku sounds like whining (laughs) we will see you next time right here on the hang time podcast for these haters later thanks for listening to the hang time podcast To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. And be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And as always, Sekuna Matata.